Hey, Hawkeye fans, Chad Lystico of the Des Moines Register at Kinnick Stadium. Good to be back here at Kinnick. Kennington Smith, my colleague at the Register. Uh, last time we podcasted from here was not much fun after the Hawkeyes lost to Nebraska. Uh, we won't talk about that, though. Uh, Hawkeyes are beating the tails off Nebraska in the baseball diamond over here. So uh, take that, Huskers. Uh, just kidding. Um, Kennington, uh, was, <laughs> uh, welcome. Uh, and uh, it was I had a fun time watching this. I know there were a lot of injuries today. Uh, and, you know, what, three-fifths or four-fifths of the offensive line was out, three-fourths of the defensive line was out. Uh, but I felt like I learned a lot, and I, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed it here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, outside of the terrible weather, let's just take yeah. <laughs> let's just take a quick moment for the fact that it's late April and this is supposed to be a spring game. Yet I'm walking into Kinnick and snow flurries are falling from the sky. So that part wasn't very fun. But otherwise, I agree with you. I thought it was a good scrimmage. I thought it was pretty informative. I think that a lot of times spring practice and these final spring games or spring scrimmages, you can't find many sweeping declarations just because a lot of times position battles are not settled in spring. It's more so about figuring out who's going to be in the mix going into summer and going into the fall. But I think that today shed a lot of light on some positions of interest. And we did get a chance to learn about where certain guys fit on the depth chart and what Iowa might be doing in this spring portal window and going into the summer. So um, I think it kind of exceeded my expectations a little bit in terms of what I thought that I was going to learn today. And I think it is shaping up to be a, a really important summer period for Iowa's program for where they want to go this fall. All right, let's just off the top start with injuries, just so everyone knows who didn't wasn't here, didn't follow, knows who was out. And that way with that puts into context <clears throat> You know what we're talking about today, the performances, whatnot, who was out. So do you have the list in front of you, Kennington, or do I need to pull it up? Do you know who it was, who was out? Well, I can start. I know the, um, you know, uh, Mason Richmond was out. Uh, Connor Colby, you're on mute. Maybe that's why I can't hear you. Oh, yeah. I've been, I've been talking this. I've been talking this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're rusty, man. This is like yeah. uh, our first podcast or something. All right, you start. Go. Go ahead. All right. Four so yours. On the offensive side, we have starting with the line and working outwards Connor Colby, Mason Richmond, Dejon Parker, Nico Ragaini, and Jacob Bostic, and Seth Anderson. So most Ms. of Linsky the. was out too, right? And and so at least two starters, possibly three on the offensive line, and one key reserve behind Logan Jones. And then um, potentially two starting receivers and one reserve in Bostic were out. And then on the defensive side, to your point, Logan Lee, Noah Shannon um, were out. Joe Evans was a limited participant. He did dress out but did not participate in 11-on-11s. And then Y.A. Black was also out. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> four of your five best defensive linemen, maybe your top four returning defensive linemen. Uh, Deontay Craig, I'm throwing him in there, but yeah. And then don't forget, uh, you know, you think about uh, Nick Jackson isn't here yet. Rusty Feth isn't here yet. Uh, these are guys that it, it just wasn't the same lineups we're going to see. However, Kennington, that gives us a backdrop 
to talk about the passing game, I feel like. Let's start there. I mean, the back seven, other than Jackson, was pretty much here. I mean, the, the secondary was was all out there. DeGene, Wampa, Schulte, uh, Castro, and then uh, rota- we'll, we'll get to the rotating cornerbacks, uh, starting with Jamari Harris. And then, of course, uh, Jay Higgins and Kyler Fisher were out there. So, the, you know, they were thrown against uh, starting secondary, and I thought, uh, in seven on seven and an 11 on 11. And I, I really thought the passing game was impressive to me. Uh, I, I, that was my initial reaction. I mean, I'm used to seeing the spring, like just being like a bunch of dud throws, you know, in traffic, batted down, you know, balls batted at the line of scrimmage sacks. I didn't really see it. it I, there was a lot of completions and a lot of it to tight ends. Yeah. I mean, the seven on sevens, it got, I think, in my opinion, it got off to a bit of a slow start. It seemed like there were a lot of like underneath kind of routes to to the tight ends. But then once it got to be the second, the first 11 on 11s and then the seven on sevens after that, it definitely started to pick up. I think my big takeaway is just like how deep the tight end room is. I think we understand Luke Lachey, Eric all are going to be really good pass catchers and really good options. But I thought Addison Ostranga probably had the best day of uh, almost anybody on especially on offense I think last year I kind of looked at him as more of just like a blocking tight end that was kind of his role last year I mean he was the third tight end to spend a lot of special teams and then when Laporta went down Lachey was the one catching the the passes and Addison was mainly in there blocking but I thought he showed a lot today as a receiver there was the the highlight of the day was a pass from Deacon Hill that he kind of threaded the needle and hit Ostranga in stride. He lined up in the slot, you know, beat his man, caught it in stride and ran for another 20 yards into the end zone. So I thought that he showed some explosiveness and pass catching a bit, uh, some pass catching ability and some versatility as well throughout the day. So you have three really good tight end options. And I think that is going to supplement what is lacking at receiver. Eric all was limited in 11 on 11s, but he lined up in a few snaps and he lined up in the slot. He lined it up on the line. Lachey was on the boundary. He was on the slot. He was on the line. So there are kind of like three tight ends that are kind of cross training in that Sam Laporta role that we saw last year where he was lining up at receiver to facilitate some injuries at receiver. So those are three options there that I think could kind of help fill that void. It's obviously not the same as having starting power five caliber wide receivers in those spots. So that's not to say that those three guys can be, you know, full-time wide receivers in addition to being in tight ends as well. But I do think it's encouraging that, you know, there's some, some position versatility there and you have, you know, some capable pass catchers. Yeah. I mean, the last time I was really loaded at tight end was 2018. Of course, Hawkinson and Fant as seniors, I'm sorry, before that, not as seniors, but as third year players, uh, before they went to the NFL draft. And that team was really, really effective offensively. I mean, that was a, over 30 points per game, you know, really just kind of, I mean, that was a really good team and they lost a lot of close games. So it can be done to build around the tight ends. It's still not ideal. I was going to need help at receiver, but uh, you know, there were some walk-ons I thought that, that jumped out. I'm not going to say that any of them are solutions, but uh, it was kind of interesting. We didn't really see much of Alec Wick, right? Um, but there were a lot of other names that, that popped Matt, up. Matt Johnson had a nice catch um, yeah. over DeGene, I believe, and um, Graham Friedrichson. Yeah, he had one of the best catches of had the a, day. For a really me. nice catch as well. Yeah. So that was something I was looking out for was before we can meet, before any conversations of 
walk-on receivers making an impact. You have to see them win and create separation against Iowa's defensive backs. And I'm not going to say there was a lot of it, but there were some nice plays um, on balls made by some of those guys. So they um, they didn't have like a, a bad day or they weren't getting, you know, completely clamped today. So mm-hmm. I thought some guys made um, some nice plays and had some nice days. And to me, the seven on seven is where my eyes went early. And uh, it was kind of interesting. We got to talk to Cade McNamara for quite a while afterwards. And he kind of said that they did a lot of seven on seven this spring. I think part of that was because of the offensive line injuries. Uh, you know, it's hard to run you know, three teams of 11 on 11 without, you know, with just six or seven healthy bodies in the line. But also, I think it was a stress uh, of getting McNamara as many reps as he could because he wasn't going to play 11 on 11 because of he's still, you know, still not quite there from the knee injury. No need to risk him. I think that's how they're treating McNamara. They're treating him as, as kind of like almost like a, you know, and a, a big league or NFL star, like you just, you just, you've got him here. You don't have to like, you just got to get him healthy. And so that's how they treated him. And they got him a ton of seven on seven reps. And I thought he was terrific in seven on seven. I don't know what, I don't know what you thought, but I mean, I thought his very first pass of the day was like, Oh, wow. That's, that looks different. Uh, just a zipped uh, Luke Lachey. That was a big gainer. Uh, does such a nice job, like looking off the safeties and, and they're looking off whoever and then and then adjusting and throwing to somebody. Obviously, he has to have time to throw, and we'll get into maybe some of the blocking. You know, we don't – again, it was, a, it was a backup offensive line, but I thought he had – I thought in the 11-on-11, 11 11, the blocking was pretty good. But beside the point, I just – what did you think of McNamara before I get in, into it too much here uh, in what we saw from him in 7-on-7? Seven seven? Yeah, I thought he had a good day. I think I'll also put Eric all into that mix of what you said about kind of having players on a pitch count a little bit. I think when you you understand that you really are going to need them for fall camp when you're ramping up for the season, it's kind of one of those things where especially as old as they are and as accomplished as they are, you don't need them to take every single rep in spring practice for you to feel confident that they're going to be ready when it gets real in, in the fall. And I'm not going to say that it's a good thing in Cade's case that he hasn't been participating because you want him out there. But I do think that it created an opportunity for the two quarterbacks behind him to get a lot of reps with the first team more than they would have had he been healthy. And that's a position of interest because as I've said um, on previous shows, history has indicated that I will need more than one quarterback if they're going to be successful. Look at 2021, you look at what happened last year. So you got to develop death behind that position as well. But I thought he had a good day. I thought he was very decisive. He had, I would probably say maybe like one bad decision. I think it was a tip ball in the end zone that ended up getting intercepted. But other than that, I thought um, he was decisive. He knew where he wanted to go. There wasn't um, a lot of like holding the ball and not really uh, knowing where he wanted to put. I thought his accuracy was fine as well. So obviously it's a different beast when there's a pass rush and um, the bullets are flying, but I thought, um, for what we saw today, I think fans should be encouraged with having him behind center. And, you know, what you said before, I was going to go into the portal looking for receivers. Kirk Ferentz said that today. Um, so they're going to try to get some more weapons around him on the perimeter and, you know, continue to build this offense out. Yeah, I think you got to get – if you can get one, um, obviously, obviously as good as you can get. I don't know who that is, but uh, get one. 
and it sounds like uh, Ferris wants to get a cornerback as well. So one wide receiver, one quarterback are kind of the target here in this portal period. You know, if you can get one, get Seth Anderson healthy, uh, I'm still really optimistic about Seth Anderson. I thought Deontay Vines, you know, the only scholarship guy healthy today, I thought he looked really good. Uh, McNamara in that seven-on-seven period, man, he threw, I thought his best ball of the day was a, a touchdown pass to Deontay Vines. I mean, he he dropped it in there on that near end zone that uh, from where we were watching and did the same to Eric All on the other side. A, a really perfect pass, tight coverage, but right on the money. Uh, it's just what you want to see. I feel like Kennington, uh, not to belabor, not to get too hyped up about seven on seven, but just uh, more so the quotes, uh, the context, you know, hearing about how he's coming in at four in the morning, you know, the recovery's on, on track, doing great. Uh, I really don't feel like the Cade McNamara acquisition that we learned about in early December could have gone any better to this point in late April for the Hawkeyes because I feel like we're exiting spring ball with Iowa feeling really good about its quarterback position, which is a huge, huge development. Right. And it has not always been like that. It probably, it hasn't been like that for several years now. I mean, it going into 2020, right. going into 2020, it was, you know, how do we replace, you know, Nate, replacing Nate Stanley, you know, is it going to be Peters going into a COVID year and then going into 2021, can Peters take the next step? And then going into last year was again, can Peters take the next step? Can Alex Padilla push him? Can Joe Lavis come come along? And then this year, like you said, it's it's solidified who the, the starter is. And I think there's a healthy competition there for number two as well. And you're bringing in Marco Linus, who people are you know pretty high on as a quarterback prospect. I don't think anybody's expecting him to be in the mix this fall, but that's somebody for the future to keep an eye on. So again, you have to see it on the field, but Iowa's quarterback situation has been subpar the last few years. And at the first available opportunity that Kirk Ferentz and the staff had to upgrade that position after the kind of doubling down, they went and they did it. And it seems like it's paying some early dividends. So it is early days. It's probably in the grand scheme of the the picture. I mean, it's probably like 25% of the way there of between winter, spring, summer is going to, probably be you know another 25 percent and then the last half the, the majority is going to be in fall camp but comparatively to the conversations about the quarterback position a year ago today you have to feel like it's a, a substantial step forward yeah and don't forget drew uh drew steven uh Cade mcnamara you know was was not healthy going into last season for michigan and that's you know obviously a contributing factor why he he didn't win the job over J.J. McCarthy and what led him to Iowa City. So, you know, that injury in, in effect sort of helped his path to Iowa City. So uh, good development there. And like you alluded to, Kennington, you know, Deacon Hill, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what to expect at all from from Deacon Hill. Uh, I didn't know what we'd see. Uh, he's a big dude. He's a big doesn't look like the traditional quarterback. Kind of looks like a fullback almost. But, man, the guy's he's pretty athletic and he, He's got a good arm, and I mean, Kirk Ferentz said he's he's ahead of Joe Labus right now, and and how notable is that? I mean, basically, and that tells me that there's a lot of Judd, John Budmeyer influence here because I feel like this system is is kind of I mean McNamara and Hill both Budmeyer guys, so uh, 
there's a reason he's making three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars this year. Uh, I think Bud Meyer has a little hand in in uh, this offense, and I think these guys are developing pretty nicely in that. Yeah, um, I want to give myself a small pat on the back here because please I, do please after do. the um, after the coordinator availability, I wrote about the backup quarterback competition, and I said even before what we found out today, I said in an article that I personally felt like there was a legitimate competition for number two. And then when we had our podcast, I said, even though Joe Labus quarterbacks Iowa in the bowl game, he does not have that many more reps in Iowa's offense than Deacon Hill because he's been the scout team quarterback all of this time. So I felt like there was an opportunity for Hill to come in and really push him. And he came out and he was running with the, the ones to start practice, which we both thought was notable. And you asked Kirk about it and the presser. And he said, yeah, I mean, if, it, if the season were today, he would be the number two guy. And I think what's notable about that and a fan pointed this out to me on, on Twitter, we kind of looked at each other and we really didn't consider it in this way. But the fact that two new quarterbacks are the, the top two guys in the room is is notable and when you think about what's been said about how difficult Iowa's offense is to understand and Brian Ferentz said on Thursday that the offense has not changed and it's not going to change and still Deacon Hill has been able to come in in such a quick amount of time and learn enough and execute enough to surpass Labus as the number two I think is something to be noted and like you said he he showed some accuracy today. He he showed some things. He moved better than what I thought he would for his size. And he's still learning. Kirk, Kirk Ferentz said it, he, and we got a chance to talk to Deacon after the practice, and he said it as well. Just the verbiage is completely different. Um, the formations, the responsibility at the line of scrimmage, all of those things are completely new for him. And he also said that the the amount of reps that he's getting at Iowa is like, night and day compared to the reps that he was getting at Wisconsin in terms of the volume of reps. So he's still very um, green in terms of his quarterback development. So the fact that he's been able to come in and, and become the number two with, you know, limited time, I think is a positive as well. So that's not to say that Labus is completely out of it. Yeah, Kirk Ferentz said it's completely, um, it's still wide open. So I think, it's healthy to have a real competition for that number two spot. And you have a solidified starter in Kate McNamara as well. So, you know, like I said, um, you know, a few seconds ago, I think comparatively the quarterback room is in a much better place than it was last spring. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this continues to develop throughout the summer and the fall. And I thought Joe Labus looked pretty decent. I mean, I, I thought he looked like an improved quarterback. From last, you know, from what we've seen in previous spring games and Kids Day, and you know, even in the bowl game, I mean, he just he had uh, he had a little bit more of a presence in the pocket to him, and and he's he we talk I talked to him afterwards too, and and he does feel like thing the game is slowing down for him. So again, I feel like this is a Marco Linez was here today, by the way. So uh, uh, I feel like a healthy quarterbacks room. Uh, for those wondering who saw Spencer Petrus on the field, he was working with the team. Uh, he he is working with the team. Uh, he's obviously on the roster, uh, not going to play, uh, you know, not not a player, uh, but he is on the on the roster and uh, is helping with the offensive line. So that's kind of an interesting development. Uh, I think Labus said that he's going to help with the quarterbacks 
in the fall, but it, for now he's in the O-line room. So that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, hopefully I can, you know, we can talk to Spencer at some point and dig, dig more into that, but, but kind of neat uh, that he's sticking around to help the team. And, and again, I thought, I just think that the quarterback room is in a, is in a healthy place. Uh, doing great. If Labor, hopefully Labor sticks around, you know, I, I assume he will, uh, you know, he's a step away from potentially being number two and, you know, who knows where McNamara, you know, his health does go eventually. So, you know, he's got a real chance, I think, to uh, to play this year. And then, of course, Linez will probably be a scout team guy this year. But uh, who knows? So, uh, you know, we've talked tons about the offense here. Uh, you know, let's go another nine, ten minutes here at Kennington. But uh, anything else stand out to you today outside of the quarterbacks and passing game? I thought Logan Jones had a good day. I thought that the timing of his snaps were sound. I thought he had some good blocks. I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of ironic that last year he was at the center of all of this dysfunction on the offensive line. And then this spring, he's been like the one constant on the offensive line. Like there's injuries to the left of him. There's injuries to the right of him. There's players moving positions, Jenning Dunker today lined up as starting tackle so that's like a new development he's been inside this entire time now he's kind of shifting outside to fill some holes i thought logan jones had a good day it kind of coincides with what we've heard about him in terms of having a good spring so um that's something i wrote about this spring as well about i feel like his development is one of the more underrated storylines of this upcoming season and it seems like he's a lot more comfortable uh manning that that offensive line so i thought that was another good development yeah, good call on Jones. Uh, Aaron Graves, to me, was was a standout. I mean, he gets a chance to start at defensive tackle, obviously with uh, Logan Lee and Noah Shannon out. But he, I think he blew up the first was it first play of the whole thing. <laughs> uh, he blew, uh, blew that up, and uh, I think it was him. Yeah, I wrote it down. Uh, Caleb Johnson left uh, run to the left, blown up by Graves. So, uh, uh, you know, Aaron was – uh, got to talk to him afterwards. There is a video up on Hawk Central. I didn't write about him, but I probably will in my, my 10 final spring thoughts. He's up to 290, 6'5", 290. Big dude, man. Uh, mean dude. Uh, goes full speed. What a, you know, this defensive line, if they're healthy, it's going to be pretty uh, pretty impressive. And it sounds like Jeremiah Pittman also, you know, per Kirk Ferentz. I think Phil Parker even said this too, right? One of the bright spots of the spring, one of the high, you know, guys who's really taken a big step forward. So you got to feel real and, and couple that with the fact that Phil Parker the other day said that he feels the best about the defensive line of all his position groups. So mm-hmm. you got to feel really good there, even though there were injuries today. So uh, that was a plus anything else. I, we didn't get to see Tory Taylor punt. I uh, did talk to him afterwards, but uh, uh, the kickers, the kickers were money. Talk yeah. about a departure from last year. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, what did what did Kirk say? He said last year was the worst display of kicking that he has seen in, in spring. And this year, um, Stevens and Blom were both like five for five. Like there wasn't a missed kick at all today. And LeVar Woods said that Aaron Blom has also been cross-training at punter. And the reason why Tory Taylor did not participate today was because the coaches wanted to have an opportunity to see some other punters just develop a little bit of depth and Aaron Blom got a chance to punt with the starting uh, unit today. So it's not, uh, you know, it's not smokescreen. Like Aaron Blom is really coming on and, and impressing and um, not that he's going to 
kick or punt this year unless an injury happens. But there is a question of what's going to happen once Tory Taylor goes to the NFL. And maybe the solution is on the roster. Maybe it's not. But there is somebody to potentially keep an eye on um, in that kicker or that punter spot should should something happen, which was not the case last year. I mean, there there was not a solidified kicker. And if Tory were to pull a hamstring or something were to happen, they would be, you know, I will be without a punter too. So there is somebody there as insurance that could kick or punt, which I think is notable. They all would talk like that. Tory Taylor is invincible, and you know it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had the quote up, and of course I, I scrolled off and missed it, but uh, what Kirk said was basically like, we didn't think we had anybody last year, <laughs> kicker. Uh, so uh, much different story. Kennington, uh, you were monitoring the DBs. Uh, Obviously, Cooper DeGene, he played solely corner today uh, from what I saw, but uh, Phil Parker seemed to be searching at that other spot. Yeah, um, I thought that was interesting. I assumed that it was going to be Jamari Harris solely at that other spot opposite of Cooper, but it was Jamari, it was TJ Hall, it was Deshaun Lee. Uh, Devin Hilson was getting some rest with the twos, as was um, Brendan Diaz-Fernandez, so um, I was kind of questioning, like, okay, is it is Jamari Harris also on a pitch count because he's recovering from an injury? Do the coaches want to develop depth at that cornerback spot and give some more chances to one with the ones? Maybe it's a little bit of both. But, again, that that depth component of the cornerback position is still something that has not been completely resolved yet. And in the middle of Kirk's presser, asking about transfer portal activity and receivers. Kirk said that they're going to search for receivers in the portal, but then he kind of added in like, we're still thin at quarter at cornerback. So that's going to be a position that we're going to target as well, kind of getting better on the perimeter. So I do believe that Iowa has very strong frontline starters in the secondary. I do believe that with Jamar Harris gets to be that 100% that he is, he's going to be um, a standout alongside with Cooper. But after that, it kind of gets to to be a little hairy in terms of who's going to be next should something happen. So I thought that was pretty notable, and it's definitely going to be something to watch in this spring transfer window. A couple of roster notes as we wrap up here. Um, only it sounded like uh, it was very optimistic. I, we didn't know the extent of Dejan Parker's injury, but uh, Kirk did say he would be back in June. So that's really good news. I think uh, it sounded like everybody would be back. Uh, for the summer. So that's that's a really positive development, except for uh, Eli Miller, fullback. Sounds like he will miss the season. He was, uh, you know, Iowa loses Monty Potabon. Eli Miller was kind of that next man in. Uh, he is out for the year. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, at least it seems that way, uh, what Iowa does. You know, maybe it goes away from fullback a little bit more. Um, was he, was Hayden Large, was he a tight end? Yeah. Okay. Hayden Large yeah. was a tight end, but like Kirk also kind of hinted kind at of alluded. Him, yeah. that he could be the potential starting fullback. They didn't yeah. go, which they, I don't know if they went fullback at all today, maybe a handful of times. So maybe yeah. we just didn't see it. So to your point, maybe they might just kind of go away from it, but it does look like um, Hayden Large, who has no ties to Hayden Fire or anything, Iowa <laughs> re- <laughs> related for those who might have been wondering. It's just a coincidence that that's yeah, his name. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Could be the potential starting fullback next year. Yeah, I mean, I I know I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this, but I would be totally fine if Iowa went away from fullback. 
I, I, I just don't, I, you know, come on. Let's try to move into the 21st century. A um, couple other roster notes. Uh, unfortunately, Justice Sullivan uh, will be medically retired or has been, I believe. They finally uh, or they got approval for it. Uh, long, ha, had the long COVID. Uh, that's very, uh, obviously very, uh, you know, has to be really tough for him. Uh, you know, never really got started here at Iowa. And then um, Kyson Van Vucht, uh moves from tight end to offensive line. So, you know, you've got a six foot six, 247 pound right tackle out there later in the, in the scrimmage. So just basically a project roster note, mentioning it, no need to discuss further. Uh, that's about it. Kennington, I, I, you know, we, we will have our Wednesday radio show, of course, and I'm sure we'll recap some more aspects of the spring game, but I don't know. I'll throw it to you here to finish up uh, before we go get some uh, some good dinner together tonight. Uh, yeah, for sure. Anything um, else uh, stand out? Yeah, I think um, I'm going to go back to the offensive side. I think on defense we pretty much know what we're going to get. I thought the running backs had a good day. That's um, a position group that we haven't had a chance to talk to this spring, but I thought – you know, Caleb Johnson was Caleb Johnson. LeSean Williams looked really good today. It seems like in these kind of open scrimmage availabilities, he kind of pops every single time. He looks really good. Kirk Ferentz said he's had a great spring. He ran a lot with the ones. Jazzy and Patterson looks like he's taking a step forward and is going to factor into it as well. And um, Terrell Washington didn't get a lot of work today, but it does seem like he's a promising prospect as well. So you want to talk about a difference between last spring and this spring. Last spring, there were two running backs on scholarship. And it was kind of like, okay, we're waiting to see what we have in the summer and see what comes of this position. And this year, it looks like a position of strength. So um, I'll be writing a little bit more about the running backs, but I thought that that was notable as well. Yeah, stay tuned. I'll have my, I don't know, eight or 10 final spring thoughts sometime uh, early next week uh, for that. And of course, we're going to dig our heels in for the NFL draft coming soon. Uh, Should be a big week for the Hawkeyes. Also, something to monitor, Kennington, is the, the transfer portal window is open. Obviously, I was looking to bring guys in, but it's always the time of year when you're a name or two from your team, uh, the one you guys are following, uh, you know, pops into the portal as well. So don't be surprised. I mean, I don't know of any um, names that will go in, but it, it happens inevitably that that some someone or some two – uh, we'll, we'll put their name into the portal just to look for another opportunity elsewhere. I have no idea who that would be at this point, but just know that that possibility is out there. Yeah, and also um, Iowa will not be getting caught flat-footed in this portal window like they did yes. last year. Their eyes are wide open. So, <laughs> you know, guys are going to be leaving uh, presumably, but – you can expect I was going to try to be bringing in some guys as well. So there's nothing to um, freak out about. It's just what it is in college football. I think at this point, every program in the country can expect at least 10% of their roster to enter into the portal at any given time, whenever the windows open in the, in the winter or in the spring. So just kind of the nature of the beast, but I think um, I was going to do all that they can to uh, make sure that their roster is well-rounded going into the summer. Thank you all for joining us uh, in this post-spring football podcast on YouTube at Hawk Central. Uh, For Kennington Smith, Chad Leistico of The Register saying so long. We will talk to you uh, Wednesday night on Hawk Central. Take care.